Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. We are glad you are taking advantage of this resource. If you would like to find out more information about our church or connect with us, go to cornerstonebv.org. You can also check us out on our Facebook page, at CornerstoneBV. We hope that the message today impacts your life and draws you closer in your walk with Christ. My junior year of high school was probably the most stressful year of my entire life. I had a part-time job. I was on varsity cross-country. I was really involved here at church. This was also the time when I started to really get angry with myself for how I looked. Being on track where the ideal runner form is weighing about 80 pounds, that was just hard for me because a lot of my friends, you know, were the super skinny and the super, just the girls that I thought were so beautiful and so perfect looking, and I was not like that. I felt empty and I started to not really care. I felt like I had spent so much time investing in God and investing in my relationship with Him, and then now I just didn't want to put the effort in anymore. I didn't want to do it. It just seemed like God wasn't putting in his half of the deal anymore, and I wasn't interested. And so I remember clearly one night, and it was after, it was after church, I was in my car on the way home, and I said out loud, I'm done. I don't want to do this. I was really, really angry. I hated him. I didn't, I didn't want to do I didn't want to talk to him anymore. And of course, I didn't tell anybody about this. I kept going to church, kept volunteering at church and smiling through the, through the whole thing. Meanwhile, I was just com- completely falling apart. I had my, my out, I guess what you can call the outside, my Kara side that I liked people to see, especially at church, you know. That was when I would laugh and I would smile and I would see people at church and, hey girl, what's up, how's your life? And everything was just, you know, no one would notice any different. When I would get home, <laughs> from church, I would go up to my room and I would just cry for probably half an hour, maybe longer, Um, usually until I just fell asleep to get away from it. It was mostly guilt that I was feeling, that I, I wanted to make things right with God again, but I just felt so unworthy after all that I had done and how I had treated him, and I didn't know how to handle that. The rest of her testimony works out well, but I wanted to just show that part of it because um, I think in her story is a lot of our story in that we, um, deep down inside, we want to be perfect. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. You want to be perfect in things that seem to matter, even some things that probably don't matter all that much. We want to be perfect, and yet every one of us knows we're not. In fact, far from it. But So there's this 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 kind of trench we end up digging for ourselves because we we, we want to be perfect, but we're not. And the reason we want, I don't know if you you, you realize this, but the reason why you want to be perfect is because that's how you were actually made, all right? God made us to be perfect, and yet we're not. So it's this constant battle. And what happens is as we dig that that trench in our lives where we start to feel anxiety, start to feel uh, just the struggle um, that 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 brings is we begin to then look around and see others and compare ourselves. Well, they look like they're doing perfectly, right? We, we see, uh, compare ourselves to other students or other athletes or musicians or uh, at work, or we saw a lot of families. We start looking at other parents and say, their kid doesn't scream and cry all the time, they, right? And we see them as more perfect than us, and that trench gets deeper. And even worse, media, especially social media, where, where we're constantly looking at people's highlight reel, right? How awesome and perfect they are, and you're like, I'm not. And the trench gets even deeper, right? 
And then we, we compare ourselves to others looking to be better. Because I know I can't be perfect, but at least I can be better than you. As long as I'm better than you and, and, and I'm more perfect than you, everything will be okay. And then it gets lost in that is our kindness towards one another, our, our humility towards one another, because i got to be better. It becomes this weird competition. And, and the trench just gets even deeper. Right? And, and so what, what then happens, I think, is what we saw in the video is we, we begin to fake it, especially in places like churches. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm doing, i got to make sure everyone thinks I'm doing well because I have to be perfect. And then we don't let anyone in. We're not known by anyone because we're afraid to show that we're not perfect. And that trench gets so deep, and that's why we can't sleep or we can't, we have this, we wake up with that, that lead in your stomach, just in your gut, or you just have that rot with worry or anxiety because all of this is coming down on us. And, and so when you're in that trench, there is only one light that can reach. There's only one light that can shine. And that is what we've been talking about, the light of gospel of Jesus Christ. That he who is perfect makes us who are not perfect to be perfect. You were made to be perfect. You just can't do it. But he does it by his grace. That's what we want to talk about in Leviticus. Perfection. Let's pray. Father, we... We thank you that you've brought us here. You've designed us um, for this purpose, Lord. And, and God, you, you have created every person, including me, with, with every aspect of our, our personalities, Lord, our, our, the things that we like and some of the things that maybe we wish were, were different. You made us this way, Lord, and you have a design for us. And so I pray that this word, that you would take it, as I often pray, and, and, and sink it deep into our minds and hearts. It's your truth, Lord. It's your truth. And so, Father, we're praying that, that um, you just have your way with each one of us, including me, that I would be just your vessel um, to give your word to your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, if you are... Um, uh, visiting with us today, uh, we did this crazy, we're doing this crazy thing that most churches don't do in doing a sermon series in Leviticus. <clears throat> um, that's a book that is in the Old Testament and doesn't often go through, and uh, so we've been in it for two years, and we got about five more years, and we'll, all right, so it's like, oh, I'm never coming back to this church again, right? No, we're just doing eight weeks. Um, it's in split in eight different sections. And we're just trying to see the big picture. Because when you read Leviticus, we have a reading plan out there. Some of you have been doing that, and you're like, oh, my goodness. Like, there's just so much that's weird to us, right? And, and, and for good reason, right? But there is some beautiful pictures in Leviticus that we've seen. So just to sort of catch up what Leviticus is, and if you've been with us, you know what this, you've seen this picture, but God has rescued his people from, from Egypt, from slavery. He's brought them to the foot of Mount Sinai. He's giving them the law through Moses, right? But he's given them this design where God can be present, specially present with his people. And so you have the tent of meeting, and, and deep inside is a tabernacle. And we see that's the Holy of Holies, the only once a year. A few couple weeks ago, we saw the Day of Atonement. The high priest can go in there. But the other priests could go just into uh, the, the holy place where you would see, you can see the, the, in the front part of the picture, the animal and the, the person. And, and we talked about the offerings for sin. Um, and, and these animals had to be spotless, as we'll talk about again today. And, and so you, you have uh, the, this, this stuff that's kind of weird to us, but it all has taught us that God is holy, right? That God is perfect. 
And you can't mess with that. You don't just walk into his presence casually. And so all of that was to say, man, you better be perfect uh, and clean to go into the presence of God. And, and so he gives them all this to show that. Now, he, he uh, gives this position, very important position, called the priest. And Aaron uh, was the high priest. That's what you see how he looked. And some of you have seen this picture. Uh, and, and very important garb that he put on. And, and his, uh, the, those in the line of Aaron were, were more common priests, but they were still very important position because they stood between the people and the presence of God. They brought the offerings uh, for, for where the people bring the offerings, and they're the ones that carry it out and go into the presence of God. So, to, so this section is going to be dealing with the priests and the animals, um, but get even more detail about how they are to be and look. And again, it's almost going to seem a little shallow, but we'll, we'll get there. So the first uh, part, and again, this is uh, our sixth section, and it's uh, chapters 21 and 22. So I'm going to obviously summarize major portions of this. But I just want you to, to really see this issue of uh, perfection. So this first, um, starting in chapter 21, part of this section um, is that the priests, right, must be perfect. They must be perfect. And so let's show you here where, where it begins in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, no one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people. And so he gives, goes on to give uh, uh, real precise instructions for priests that are, that are higher and, and more involved than a common uh, person uh, in, in, in specific, two specific ways. How they mourn, like funerals and those who they know might have died, and marriage. And they have higher standards. Right, for who they marry and higher standards of, of who they can you know, touch if they're dead and what they have to do if not. Because again, there's, the closer you get to the presence of God, the, the more perfect you have to be. And so, the, the, by the way, each in these two chapters, this section, there's six subsections. And, and all of the, the reason we know that is all of them have this variation of one phrase. Let me show you in verse 8. I'm not going to show you all the places, but you'll see it a couple of times. It says, he, talking about the priest, shall be... Holy to you, for I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am holy. Right? I, who sanctify you. So to sanctify is to set apart, make holy, or make perfect. But you're going to see over and over again, I, the Lord, do the perfecting. Right? I, Elohim, Yahweh, do the perfecting. And so um, after that, it kind of stays with the same idea of mourning and marriage, except then it gives even higher standards for Aaron or the, the high priest. Like their, their standards of, they can't even like what they would do when, they, when someone they cared about died is they would rip their clothing and they would put like ashes on their, their head or, and, and, and the high priest was not allowed to do that because he was anointed. Um, and he, he was good, very specific funerals that he could even attend because, because death is unclean. And his uh, choice of wife was a high, much higher standard. It had to be a, a virgin from his line. So it was even a higher standard. So because the high priest gets even closer one day a year to the presence of God, he has to be even more perfect, right? And I know the Saul sounds kind of weird to us, right? But it's all saying something. Like God is saying something with this. So then after that, we start to get even more specific about the priest and how they are to be physically perfect. How many does that rule out? I'm just saying. I'm, I'm out right there, right? Okay, so uh, we'll give you verse 16, chapter 21. 
And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, None of your offspring throughout their generations who has a blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God. So what he's saying, and he goes on, and I won't give you all, all these different ailments, skin disease, I've told you a few weeks ago when we did the ritually unclean section that I have psoriasis, so I'm out, right? I would, I was, if I was uh, in the priestly line, um, here's the thing. God doesn't say you're like cut off or he doesn't love you. You just can't go into his presence with the, with the offerings. So you can still eat, because remember, uh, the, the priestly families, their sustenance came from those. So you could still eat the holy food, right, as part of the family, uh, but you are not allowed to, to actively engage as a priest. You couldn't go into the presence of God. You couldn't go into the presence of God if you were deaf, if you were blind, if you were crippled, if you were lame in any way, right? And, and all these things. So the priest had to be physically perfect as much as possible, right? And that's... That seems weird. Like, why is, like, why is God doing that? Well, let me show you in verse, um, again, he kind of gets even more precise, verse 23. But the priest, he shall not go through the veil or approach the altar because he has a blemish, that he may not profane my sanctuaries, for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. There's that phrase again. Don't forget that. Right, so again, they could eat the holy food and they could still be a part of their family, but they were not allowed to, to be a priest, at least in, uh, an active priest. And so their physical perfections are supposed to represent their internal perfections. They don't often do that. but that's, So that's God uh, sort of painting this picture for us, right, that you have to be perfect. After that, starting in um, chapter 22, is uh, he kind of gives precise instructions about who can eat that holy food that we talked about. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, so that they abstain from the holy things of the people of Israel, which they dedicate to me, so that they do not profane my holy name. I am the Lord. So, the, uh, the, the priest could eat the food and, and also their family members. It was very uh, good and precise instructions. If you were just an outside worker, you were not allowed to eat that food. It was only for the priestly families. But he goes on to say that if a priest, even one without a blemish, right, who's, who serves as a priest, if you become unclean, so kind of going back to the section where bodily fluids and all of that, if you miss that, you're... I'm, you, you missed a lot, don't worry. Uh, but but if, if a priest becomes unclean, what they would have to do is take a bath, which was nice, right? And bathe themselves in water and wait until the evening, and then they were clean. So they couldn't eat of the holy food until then. That's what that section gives us. And so that, uh, again, there's so much in there, but that's it in a snapshot about the priest. So what, like, what is all of this about why the priest must be perfect? Because priests are the highest example for the Israelite people. And priests are, they, they have this really important job to represent the people to God. Right? So they bring the sacrifice in, they, they bring the incense in, day of atonement behind the veil, sprinkling the blood. Like That's representing the sinful people to make atonement. Like That's huge. And then they come out and they represent uh, God to the people. And so God's like, the closer you get to me, the more perfect you have to be. But what's the problem here? Because you and I, if you, if you, at some point, you, you, you hopefully thought to yourself, yeah, but they really weren't perfect. We know this because he made Aaron and the other priests make atonement for themselves before they could make atonement for the people. Right? They might have looked good, but they had all kinds of mess going on in their lives, just like we do. 
right? So, so if, if they're supposed to be perfect, they weren't. So why, like, what is God doing with this? And what, is, what he's doing is he's, again, he's giving a picture that, have you ever looked through uh, like a stained glass window uh, the, 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 from the back or maybe you've seen a portrait from the back? And you can sort of see what it's about. It looks pretty good, but you're not quite sure, right? That's for them. They see God is perfect. God is holy. I, I, I need to be perfect. The closer you get to his presence, you have to be perfect. But, but like the priests, they have to keep doing it because they're not really perfect. So what is God doing? And so now we can actually get on the other side of that portrait and see it, right? That God was showing that there will someday come a priest who is perfect and who could actually represent us to God and God to us, Jesus Christ, right? And so we'll, we'll get back to that, but let me just finish this section because there is a small section at the end of chapter 22 um, on talking, where he's talking about the animals, the sacrifices. And here we learn the sacrifices also must be perfect. The, the, the priests and the, and the animal sacrifices were, were always linked together because they, they came into the presence of God, Right? The priest comes, the animals come, and you, you remember from previous sections that the animals need to be spotless. Right? So it's really just matching it up. Priest got to be spotless, the animals got to be spotless. But here he, he, he goes into great detail, which I won't give us all of it, but I'll just give you a little piece of it. Verse 19, if it, the animal sacrifice, is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. Right? Many, many more details if you read through it about different animals and what you could and could. Right? But, the, but the, just as they, they need to be perfect. And it ends this way. So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. And you shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord. There it is again who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. Right? I am Elohim God, but I am Yahweh. I'm your God. I saved you. I love you. So this isn't, it seems harsh by God. But remember, we've said over and over again, God is holy. He is perfect. He can't stop being holy. Right? That is who he is. Any more than the sun stops being hot. God is holy. And anything that is unholy or not perfect that enters his presence can't survive. And so this is all out of his love and grace. That he's trying to show them a way that they can be in his presence because they are not perfect. Right? And, and so we, we see, uh, just like we saw with the priests, these animals, okay, they're spotless, but they're not perfect. They're, they're animals. That's why they had to keep on doing it over and over and over again. Right? Keep bringing the sacrifices. Keep atoning for your sin. Because it was never going to be enough. Right? Yes, God demanded is a picture. Give me your choice, best, perfect animals. But it was all a picture again. A picture for them. It's like, what is God teaching us through all of this? But us, we can look back and see. It's a picture that Jesus isn't just the priest. He's the offering himself. And that's the picture of grace in Leviticus. And so the, 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 the couple of things that I, I, I want you to see, first, the perfect priests are a perfect picture of Jesus. Right? God has warned us. Right? This is, this, I know it's, it's not the, the cool in thing to say, but God is holy. 
And he designed us to be holy. But in this broken world, that's why we dig those trenches we talked about, of anxiety and stress, and I'm not perfect. I know I should be, right? And it, and it feels hopeless, right? So he gives us those pictures in Leviticus to show us it's not hopeless. Yes, we have to be made perfect, but who does the perfecting? I, the Lord, sanctify you. You're not going to gut it out and go to church enough and read enough Bible verses and be good enough. You're just going to start comparing yourself to everyone. You're just going to start kind of faking it to make it, right? But God's like, I don't want you to live that way. I want you to realize I sanctify you. I will make you holy. And so when you read the the best companion, as we've seen um, throughout this series, in the New Testament for Leviticus is the book of Hebrews. Um, There was a the writer wrote to a group of people that were trying to revert back to these sacrifices. So a lot of his point was to show them, don't do that. Why? So in, in, in Hebrews chapter 4, it says this. Since then, we have a great high priest. He's talking about Jesus. Who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. I love that imagery. So it's like talk about you're in that trench, you're, you're feeling like I'm not enough, right? He says to Christians who know Jesus, he is the high priest, right? He stands on our behalf before God, and he came on behalf of God to us, right? He's, but he's not, he doesn't have to make atonement for himself, right? He's spotless. He's sinless. And I love that phrase like hold fast, hold fast. So, so sometimes when things so so dark and so hard and such a struggle and I don't even know anymore like we saw that 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 testimony where she's just like I don't even know right it's like just hold fast right like like cling on to your confession of what you believe that Jesus stands in between you and God that Jesus is your high priest what other priest would you need right he um keeps going in in that chapter For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, without blemish. The only one ever to do it. He was tempted too. It's not like he lived in some palace somewhere and had all of his needs taken care of. And even then people sin, right? But no, he lived in in the grimy world that we live in. He He sees, he understands everything you endure and more. He understands the people who are depressed or hurt or anxious, people who are struggling or poor or sick. He understands all of those things. All of that stuff was bombarded on the life of Jesus, and he did not sin. So he, unlike any of those previous uh, high priests, he can be the one and only perfect high priest to stand between us and God by his grace. Right? He not only... um, he, he not only stands between us, but remember, he rips down the veil forever for us to be able to walk into the presence of God, to be able to pray, worship. Um, s- similarly, the same writer in chapter 7 says this, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. See, that picture becomes clear. As you look at the cross and realize, my high priest has stood between me who is imperfect and God who is holy, set apart and perfect. 
And so the perfect priest is a picture of Jesus, but don't forget that he also was the perfect sacrifice. That also, the unblemished animals, is a picture of Jesus. Again, the the writer of Hebrews, this time in chapter 9. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, I know that's a lot, but look, here he comes, brings it home, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Right, so what is the answer to that trench where we're comparing ourselves and where we're, we're faking it till we make it? The answer, what is it? Is it religion? Is it philosophy? Is it more uh, stuff? Is it happier experiences? Is it medication? What is it? The answer is not a what, it's a who. It's Jesus. He's not only your high priest, but he actually offered himself on your behalf. That's what the cross is. No more spotless bulls and goats and lambs. We have thee, as we sang today, behold the Lamb of God who offered himself up for you. Right? We have Jesus. He's the answer. Right? He's, he's the picture of God's grace. You see, we, 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 we get in this, these pits and we, we, we then look around and we, we, we don't feel satisfaction. And we're like, man, it doesn't matter how much sex I have. It doesn't matter how many relationships I'm in. It doesn't matter how much money I have. It doesn't matter how much fun I have. It doesn't matter how big my house is. It works for a second and I'm not satisfied because satisfaction is found in Christ. That's the, the, the method that God gave us, the high priest and the perfect uh, sacrifice. It's a, it's a, a picture of his, of his grace, the grace of God. So at the very end of this sentence, it says, he purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So this gospel, right, this actually goes back to that phrase I wanted you to remember. He kept, Leviticus kept saying over and over again, Right? It is the Lord who sanctifies. It is the Lord who purifies. Right? So uh, the Lord is the one who sanctifies you. Yes, you need to be per- perfect. He does it. He does it. Have, have you ever um, noticed, because as we're reading Leviticus, and we're talking about how perfect priests need to be and physically and all that. Have you ever noticed in the Gospels, it just turns all that upside down? Like in other words, who did Jesus hang around with? He's, he's, he's always with, with, with poor people, sick people, lepers, he's cripples, deaf people, blind people. It's just constantly, right? right just, just, uh, like, that's why the religious people hated him. Like, they were like, what are you doing? Like, that's unclean. Like, you've got to be perfect. You can't do that. And he's just hanging with tax collectors. He's hanging with prostitutes. He's like, what are you doing? Well, that's the whole point. Right? In fact, it comes to uh, uh, one of these crescendos in, in the middle of uh, the Gospel of, of Luke where they're, they're asking these questions and Jesus tells a story. And, he, and, and one of the stories I really like is about this, this king. He's like, all right, this king throws a banquet. 
It's just awesome banquets, the, the, the who's of the who. Everyone who, who matters is invited to this banquet. Right? And he sends out these invitations by, with the servants. Right? And the servants come back, and they're like to the king, they're like, I don't know, man, no one's coming. They have excuses. They're, oh, I'm tired. They all got something going on. They all got excuses. right? And so, so Jesus says, okay, the king then tells the servants to do something else. Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Don't miss that. What is he doing there? It's except everything that Leviticus teaches us has been flipped on its head. To come on in. And now we're not talking about just attentive meeting. We're not just talking about going to church. We're talking about the gates of heaven. We're talking about the eternal throne of God. He says, bring in the cripple. Bring in the lame. Bring, bring in the blind. Like these, because it's not just physical uh, lameness and cripple. It's spiritual. Bring them in. Why? Why is, so did, did God just change his mind? Is God just a softer uh, version of himself now in the New Testament? No, he's still holy. He still demands perfection, but it's Jesus who makes you perfect, right? This is what um, Paul says in Colossians. And you who were once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And so every single one of us who sits here crippled lame and blind before God can walk into the presence of God because Jesus is our high priest and because Jesus offered himself for us and it is Jesus who sanctifies us. It is Jesus who makes you perfect. Here's the thing. We love to talk about the gospel for those who don't know Christ. That it's like your starting point, right? It's your diving board. It's your starting blocks. And now I've got to gut out this Christian life. I've got to learn how to do it and what to do. That's not true. The gospel isn't just the starting blocks. It's the race itself. It's what fuels you every single day. If you're a Christian in the room and, and you wake up and Satan immediately starts lying to you, you're not enough, don't listen to that stupid pastor, like you messed up, you're not perfect, God doesn't want you, sit on the sidelines, don't do what you're called to do. Like, and, and so you start believing those lies. Like I'm just a mess. And you start identifying with, I, I cheated, I lied, I did, like all of those things that make you crippled and make you lame and make you blind, right? And, 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 he, and he says, just that's who you are. So because it'll never, ever get better, numb yourself with drugs and alcohol, with sex or work or whatever it is because it's the only happiness you'll ever have. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You see, when you know Christ, the great high priest, the perfect sacrifice, when you know Christ, he doesn't just say, I've saved you, now good luck. He's, he's actually with you, present with you, making you perfect. So here's where that's a lie. That God, when he looks at you, Christian, he doesn't see your deformities spiritually or physically. He sees Jesus. And it's so hard for us to accept. God looks upon you, Christian. He sees the perfection of his son because Jesus did that for you. He doesn't look at where you're wanting. He doesn't say, I regret saving you. I don't wish you weren't part of my church. It's not what God does. He instead sees the righteousness of his son. And the, the lie that you and I believe is that, oh, that can't be true. I'm too much of a mess. But it is. That he makes you without blemish. That's why the gates are open. God didn't change. He just sent his son to change you and me. 
right? And so what I'm pleading with you is to, if you're a believer in Christ, you've trusted in Christ, to not believe that lie. And I'm pleading with you if you've never trusted in Christ. Maybe a lot of this went over your head, and you're like, well, it's a lot of stuff about animals and priests. I'm just inviting you. You're always invited to have a relationship with God. It's not going to come. You've already tried all the other things, and they aren't working, and you know it. God provided his son for you to have a relationship with him, and everything in the world is lying to you and saying, that's not true. You can get satisfaction, and you know none of it is working. It's a free gift of grace. Jesus did all the work. All you have to do is believe. Repent and believe. And say, Lord Jesus, I need you to be my Savior, my Lord. You're my high priest. You're my sacrifice. You're the lamb. And he invites you in. And then when that happens, God sees his son in you. And he no longer sees your sin and blemishes and imperfections. The gospel, it doesn't just start us. It drives us. Every day when you wake up, know I am a child of God. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are a God who saves, a God who loves, a God who redeems. It's always been who you are. You're holy. And yet you love us so much that you would send your son to be the perfect mediator, the perfect high priest, perfect offering on our behalf. So Lord, I pray for believers in Christ who are here right now praying with me that you would help them to see themselves the way you do. Not so that we can sin or live, no, but so that we could understand how you see us, sons and daughters of the king because of Jesus. Father, so many believers right now, they're, they're still buying the lie. They're still buying the lie. That they're nothing. And they're wrought with anxiety and hurt and what did I, how I messed up. Father, I pray you'd give them the grace so that they might just leave, it at, just leave it at the foot of the cross today. That they would know that you don't see that in them. Confess whatever they've got to confess and move on. That, that our, our, our believing those lies, Lord, that they, would just, that they would not stop us from living out our purpose for you. Jesus, I thank you for dying in our place, and I pray that anyone in this room would just, you just change their heart to the gospel. If they previously just weren't saved, they would understand you're the only way, the only way. Give them a new heart, Lord. Only you can do that. I plead with you to do that. They would understand you for the first time. And just say, Jesus, I'm not enough, but you are. Jesus, you are enough. In his name we pray, amen. Let's stand and worship together.